0: everybody welcome back to the crypto 101 podcast Uh, i'm your host bryce you know me you definitely know pizza mind uh my notorious co-host uh you're hanging in there pete throughout all this volatility
1: (laughs) Bryce, this shit is bananas (laughs) every day is like another episode of sons of anarchy finance edition (laughs) it's wild man uh we we have
0: never seen a market quite like this um, you know, I was too young to really know what was going on in 2008, uh, but now I turn on CNBC and it seems like just about every day. Um, another bank has failed or the, the, you know Janet Yellen's calling an emergency meeting to figure out what's going on. So uh, we brought on an expert in, in the finance, in the banking community. He's run hedge funds. He's written books. In fact, people who are listening to this uh, right now, I've probably read one of his books. We've got James Altucher here on the show uh, to kind of walk us through what's going on in the world at a high level. Um, last time we had James on, he talked about the Great Reset, and he was flaming about it, and he was very passionate, and now we've seen this all unfold. So he's very present. Uh, James, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Bryce,
2: so excited, and Aaron as well, so excited to be on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I remember the last time I was on, I had such a fun time. And Bryce, you've been really doing a great job sending out emails every day keeping people informed of what's going on I, I always read your stuff and 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 watch a lot of your your webinars and so on so you're you're one of my sources for finding out what's going on thank
0: you dude thank you yeah we, we put a lot of time and energy into just staying on top of the crypto markets at the end of the day there there's a lot going on and it moves quick and you know we we built up a team that's really passionate and loves it um and you know I, I think required reading as well is uh, some James Altucher literature. Um, you know, I, I think that everybody who, who's listening should go and cop one of your books on Amazon. But, um, James, absolutely, James, and thank you. Go ahead. Oh, go for it, Aaron. What were you gonna say?
1: I was gonna say, a required listing would be our last uh recording as well, where you predicted uh the huge rise of the dollar. It was right after four trillion dollars had just been printed in stimulus. Mm. Bryce and I, and everyone else in the crypto industry, is going, you know, Bitcoin's going to a million. Uh, this is insane. And you actually had the contrarian point of view that said, actually, the demand for the dollar is actually outpacing the increase in supply. And we're actually going to be in a deflationary stage. You saw it when no one else was coming. The dollar then ripped up for one of its best runs ever. Yeah, so- I mean,
2: even now you can say, oh, well, look at all the inflation. Let me tell you, if it wasn't for the fact that every other country in the world is buying the dollar hand over fist inflation would be a lot greater than it is now. And in fact, we're starting to see disinflation, of course, in the past few months. And this story is still playing out. But back in 2020, I mean, we all know this now in retrospect, but so, so many people were saying, look, we got to close down every single business on the planet so people don't get sick. And whether or not that was true or not, it was important to note. And this is what we were noting on, on that episode. You can't just flip a switch and turn the, economy, the entire global economy on and off. And now we're facing the consequences that the bill is due. And I'm not a doomer so, boomer. I'm optimistic, right? But, so, but there right. are problems. So now we're seeing some similarities. The Fed just extended
1: another $4.4 in credit to the banks. We're hearing the same Bitcoin's going to a million again. This time, is it different or is it the same story as before?
2: A little bit of both. I mean, it's never totally the same, but let's let's take those two issues one at a time. and And the first question that the the Fed is getting ready to lend four trillion to the banks, this is okay. Like this is not what people think. Uh, uh, you know the media, which which really doesn't know anything, like I've worked at The Wall Street Journal. I've worked at the Financial Times. I've been a contributor to CNBC and Fox Business and all that. They just know nothing. And <laughs> and and it's disgusting how they report the news. Like, how many headlines do I have to read? Like, the world is over, uh, you know, before I just, say, hey, just shut up. And that's like the past 30 years. You see those headlines every year. Yeah. So, you know, here's what happened. Uh, just at a 10,000 or 100,000-foot level, banks all the time, y- you put money in a bank. Okay, you... Bryce, Aaron, we all put money in a bank. We put it in a savings account. The bank says, okay, you you put money in a savings account. We're going to give you 1% on your money per year. And all along, the banks take your money and they make investments. Now, usually they make investments in super safe treasury bills. So last year, I'm just making this up. Treasury bills might have been yielding 3%. Fast forward a year later, now the new treasury bills are yielding 5%. So no one's going to buy your shitty treasury bill for 3% when you could buy a new one for 5%. So when there is a hypothetical run on the banks and the banks say, oh, we need to raise cash. Let's sell our treasury bills. They're not selling it for what they paid for it. They're selling it for less because the interest rate is now higher. So the interest rate they bought is is worthless. So part of this is, well, couldn't they hedge their risk? Well, no, because the Federal Reserve raised interest rates at the fastest pace ever. There was no way to hedge that. So... But here's what the Fed is doing. The, 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 these investments that banks have been making, as opposed to what they were doing in 2008, they are riskless investments. They're they're buy, they're basically lending money to the U.S. government with the idea that in 5 or 10 or 30 years, the U.S. government will pay them back. As opposed to in 2008, banks were making super high-risk, leveraged investments. These investments that banks are making, they're going to get paid back. If you bought $100 worth of Treasury bills, you're not going to lose money in the loan. You're going to get your whole $100 back. If you have to sell now, it's unfortunate you would lose money. So the Federal Reserve knows this. The Federal Reserve has opened up a new lending facility to banks that says, hey, we know these investments are going to pay, be paid back in full. So we'll lend you money on whatever you paid for those treasury bills. We know we're going to get paid back. We're going to charge you interest. So we're going to make money. Tax, it's going to cost the taxpayer nothing. That's what's happening in terms of that four trillion dollar lending facility. It's not like what they did at the beginning of pandemic, where they just airdropped a trillion dollars worth of cash on the public. It's different. This really, you know, makes the banking system safe, at least as far as far as depositors go, not necessarily shareholders. So that in that sense, the banking system is safe. So I answered the part one of your question. Part two is are we going to experience deflation? The answer is yes, because the Federal Reserve, and and this is going to lead to crypto, the Federal Reserve has choked the economy to death. Back in March 2020, the Federal Reserve was worried that they would never get inflation ever again. And you need inflation to kind of have a, 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 a small amount of inflation to have a growing, a good, healthy, growing economy. So they dropped the $4 trillion in the beginning of the pandemic, thinking maybe this will cause inflation. Well, yes, it did. To some extent, there's some transitory stuff too. But now they've choked the economy to death. What's going to happen when we actually feel... We haven't felt the effects of these interest rates yet, by the way. It takes 12 to 18 months. What's going to happen when we feel the effects? We're going to get a recession. We're already seeing disinflation and some deflation in the system. We're going to get deflation. The, the, I don't know what it is. The federal government just shot themselves in the foot. And they're going to have to reverse at some point. Yeah.
0: It's, it's a catch 22. I mean, they're in between a rock and a hard place and they've kind of, they've, they've, they've made their bets Uh, there. Jerome Powell said he's going to keep interest rates higher for longer. And it's, it's kind of, he's hoping that, you know, the, the free market kind of maybe corrects itself that, uh, you know, we're going to get lots of uh, deflationary pressure because some of these regional banks aren't going to be extending credit and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it feels like, Um, And and again, maybe this is just an arbitrary feeling, but it feels like somewhere in all these headlines and all these emergency meetings and all these liquidity facilities and, you know, not bailouts, but, you know, really smoothing things over. It seems like somewhere the taxpayer is going to get screwed over here. And it seems like somewhere along the way, uh, the shell game is going to, you know, kind of get revealed and, you know, people need insurance against that. And I think that's where crypto comes in. Um, Do you kind of agree
2: Yeah, absolutely. I don't necessarily, here's the real worry, because this is a, there's things happening globally that are scarier than these bank collapses. Like, you know, China just brokered relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Now China's visiting, the premier of China um, uh, is visiting Russia. Well, what are all these companies, all these countries have in common is they buy and sell oil. Guess what Mm. currency they use to Mm. buy and sell oil? US dollars, that's why China has 2 trillion of our dollars. The biggest use case of the dollar is buying oil. Oil is priced in dollars. China, which needs a lot of oil, has 2 trillion of the dollars just to buy oil. They can't spend the dollars in China, they spend it on oil. So what happens when, just hypothetically, and this is just one problem, what happens when these countries say, you know what, screw the US, what good are they doing us right now? Uh, Let's just buy everything and, and, and sell everything in Yuan. And, I, I see that this is. this is
0: what they're planning on doing. This is public, right?
2: Yeah, and and again, when I say the this is what this is why the U.S. has for so long avoided such extreme inflation, despite trillions of dollars being used in two thousand nine, in twenty twenty, they Perhaps exported now, all the inflation. Yeah, they they totally and and there's so much demand for the U.S. dollar, so from countries that need to buy oil and other things, that 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 keeps the price of the oil, you know. Uh, that keeps the price of the dollar high, which means inflation's capped a little bit. But inflation will go through the roof if everyone says, you know, maybe we don't need, let's just screw the US and then we don't need the dollar as much. Then, and this is to your point, this is what crypto was made for. So to- the, by the way, crypto has many, many uses now, just like, you know, the internet in 1972 was made for email. And over the next 50 years, many more use cases were found for the internet, including the web, and then in social media, and AI, and all these other great things, but just like crypto, there's many more use cases than the original intent. But Satoshi Nakamoto specifically made Bitcoin in 2009 for this exact reason. Nobody, Jerome Powell, Janet Yellen, Jamie Dimon, some you know ravingly mad bank offshore or whatever, or the Chinese or the Russians, nobody should have effect on the money that is in my pocket. I, I I can go to sleep at night. The Fed drops $4 trillion overnight. The money in my pocket just changed in value. So Satoshi's goal was you can be your own bank. You could be your own banking system. You could be your own central bank. Just put your Bitcoin in a hard wallet, in a cold storage wallet, and you're safe when the dollar goes crazy, if the dollar goes crazy. And everyone in the U.S. sort of pooh-poohs this because the U.S. dollar has never faced a real issue. But every other country, by the way, is soaking it up in crypto like Argentina, which is one of the most uh, volatile currencies out there. The government every day changes the value of their currency. Those guys, everybody is a whole market in crypto like they, they the day crypto purchases were made illegal were more purchases than ever on that day from Argentina. Same with Iran. Same with countries in Africa. Same with countries all over South America like other countries understand why bitcoin was created and guess what the u.s is going to start to understand it too, which is why they're having a panic like guys like jamie diamond on the one hand he's saying oh i could use bitcoin for toilet paper and on the other hand he's got the biggest crypto trading department on wall street so you know it's all insane what what's what's going on just to the lies and the hypocrisy and uh, and you know i'm not a conspiratorial guy i'm very optimistic I am optimistic on innovation in US and and we're the best country for that and, the, and on the planet. But I do think it's going to be ultimately fueled and funded by crypto.
1: To your point, you know, while Chase is trading crypto on their desk and I can personally vouch that there is a head of digital assets that now works at Bank of America. Why then is the US government and banking regulators attacking crypto so harshly right now? It's I just- mean, they're sending out Arrest notices to celebrities, yet Jim Cramer gets to appear on TV every day, purposely misleading retail investors with every freaking call he makes. Just today, he's like, you know, Deutsche Bank is fine. And one message will literally I have another message from private Singaporean bankers that have already figured out how to get customers out of Deutsche Bank because they know
2: it's going to fail. Well, here's mm-hmm. the problem.
0: Look, guys, taxes, they stink, but they're a part of life. And crypto taxes can particularly stink. And now the IRS, they're cracking down, increasing audits and in turn, increasing your financial risk. So that's why I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Guard Dog by Crypto Tax Audit. Now, Guard Dog is kind of like car insurance, but for your taxes. Now, is an early warning indicator constantly scanning your financial landscape for audit risk, sending you monthly reports on the status of your IRS account and warning you about potential audits up to six months in advance. And if that happens, GuardDog can work with you to correct any issues and potentially even help you avoid an audit altogether. And on top of all this, GuardDog even detects when you're eligible for refunds that you might not have even known about. So stop worrying about your taxes and learn how you can get started by going to CryptoTaxAudit.com. Again, that's our newest sponsor, GuardDog. You could find him at
2: CryptoTaxAudit.com, and you can sign up today. I mean, just uh, – and I'm going to get to the crypto one in a second. The pr- real problem is every bank right now is technically bankrupt because they've all been buying uh, for the past year – long-term duration treasury u s treasury bills and those are all underwater so technically, if you engineered a run on the banks for, for on every bank and the banks have to e- sell their treasury bills, you know they're all out of money they're all bankrupt now it's all psychology like there shouldn't be a run on the banks and the Fed has backstop by saying, hey we'll pay full we'll lend full value on the value of your bonds so hopefully again that Coms things, but Deutsche Bank is a German bank. Credit Suisse is a Swiss bank. So now they're kind of, you know, the 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 panic is going to settle in on banks outside the U.S. that might have had riskier assets. I don't know, but and that doesn't even include the derivatives bubble. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think there's going to be that much problems on derivatives because again, they're all. Yes, those are risky assets, but really the assets that are that are bailing the depositors out are the the safest investments. And there's a lot been a lot of regulation since 2008. Like banks invest mu- are much more audited, much more regulated. At least in the US they're a lot safer. But to the real point, which is why are they all targeting crypto? I mean, there's the kind of long-term reason which is, hey, we deal in cash, not crypto, so we don't want to go out of business. So that's kind of like the long-term reason. But there's another reason too, which people don't appreciate, which is that Silicon Valley and Wall Street have long been at war with each other. All the way back in the 90s, even, you know, companies like Amazon would go public at 20 and the end of that day of the IPO, the stock would be trading at 60. I'm just, I don't know if that's true for Amazon, but that happened with a lot of uh, internet companies and tech Silicon Valley companies. And Silicon Valley would say to Wall Street, what the hell are you doing? That, why don't we go public at 60? We need to make the money, not just your customers. Like we were raising money. This was really important to us. And Wall Street was like, sorry, we need to make our customers money. And that began this huge war. Like if you look at like things like SPACs and um, I don't know, Form 10 IPOs, there's all sorts of ways now Silicon Valley tries to bring companies public without using Wall Street. There's all sorts of ways co- uh, Silicon Valley tries to lend money to startups without using Wall Street. That's what Silicon Valley Bank was for, by the way. So that's the first bank the government targeted. And guess what? Silicon Valley made their own currency to avoid Wall Street. Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto was most likely a Silicon Valley person. I mean, we we all probably know who he is and he's a Silicon Valley guy. So, you know, this has been a long-term war. So guess what? Uh, Silicon Valley Bank was an easy one to destroy. But then Signature Bank, this was, you know, two Sundays ago. I I mean, they wake up on a Sunday. The New York Federal Reserve, you know, the New York Federal Bank decided on a whim that, hey, okay, Signature Bank is totally fine. They have no problems. There's been no run on, on deposits. Let's shut them down. They call the Federal Reserve Sunday morning. Why don't you shut this bank down? And Signature's shut down. Barney Frank, who was on the board of Signature, he's even said, uh, it was totally solvent. Like, what's the problem? Barney Frank, as you know, was knows a thing or two about banking. He was the head of the House Financial Services Committee in 2008, 2009, knows a thing or two. He was like, Signature's fine. What's going on? Well, Signature was the largest crypto-friendly bank. Why were they targeted? And Silvergate, and then Silicon Valley Bank. All these crypto-friendly banks were targeted. So we are seeing kind of we're not seeing the behind the scenes, we're seeing kind of the surface of this ongoing war between Wall Street the, and the government and uh, versus uh, Silicon Valley, which, you know, and it's being fought over the domain of, of crypto. And these these bank problems are a reasonable excuse. The Federal Reserve's got to like, calm themselves down before this battle turns into a serious problem.
0: Yeah, it it does now seem like in, in kind of retrospect, a little bit of a battle uh, East versus West, but like, Wall Street versus Silicon Valley and Tupac saw- versus
2: Biggie all over again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tupac versus Biggie all over again. That's exactly right. And you know, I I don't know if it was targeted. I know there's lots of like cultural differences between Silicon Valley and Wall Street. Do you think uh you know some of Wall Street was in Jerome Powell's ear almost like, "Hey, you got private lending markets. They're they're kind of circumventing Wall Street. They're circumventing these traditional forms of funding. You know, why don't we
2: knock them off the ledge?" Absolutely. Like, look, at the beginning of all this, there's issues of what's an ICO? Is it really an IPO? Should it be regulated? Then there's issues of, you know, Gary Gensler keeps saying, I mean, Gary Gensler is going insane. Like, I think the guy is literally going insane, where he's saying, oh, I'm going to send a Wells notice, which means I'm investigating, you know, Coinbase for securities fraud. He still hasn't even, Coinbase is begging, please tell us the rules and we will abide by them they're they're, they're
0: saying please let us know which ones are securities we'll delist those right now and they they won't get a
2: response yeah and like the question is you know gary gensler has hinted that some or some or all cryptos are securities by the way who cares if they're securities it just means they have to abide by new regulations and new laws they have to follow the securities and exchange act of 1933 which just means a little bit more disclosure you know And then they have to figure out for the, you know, for cryptos, which are decentralized, you have to figure out who's going to disclose what, like, what does it mean that they're securities and Mm -hmm. someone has to figure this out, but he hasn't done that. Instead. He's just started like randomly charging whack-a-mole. Yeah. And you can't do that. And here's an important difference. Like what is a security? So when I buy Apple stock, I get a piece of paper that says, oh, James Altucher, you own 100 shares of Apple stock. And I can hang that on my wall and whatever. And then when I want to sell my Apple stock, I go to the bank, I give them a certificate and I say, please sell this for me. Now, when I buy Ethereum, okay, many of us think of Ethereum the same way. I want to buy Ethereum. I want to um, watch it go up in value and then sell it and make money. But that's not the real reason to buy Ethereum. The real reason to buy Ethereum is because you use it to make other decentralized applications. Ethereum is almost like a, you could think of it as a programming language where you can use it to make the thousands of decentralized applications that are needed to build this newer, better financial ecosystem. And you know, in that sense it's not a security, it's it's functional. I don't say I don't say, you know, the Python programming language is a security. No, it's a programming language. So these things the crypto has actual use cases that and and securities don't securities only say I own a piece of something. That is what a security is. So anybody who investigates this for more than five minutes will will know that. And this is why Gary Gensler is getting a lot of pushback from other SEC commissioners. Like no, no judge has enforced right. anything Gensler has said because and, you know, Congress is is debating this. Fortunately, uh, the, the head of the Financial Services Committee now, crypto friendly guy. The prime minister of the UK, crypto friendly guy, Dubai is trying to be the center of, of crypto banking. These other places and people are taking crypto seriously, including high up, you know, the most powerful financial people in government in the US. So this will work itself out and it'll be fine. It's just that the panicky headlines are going crazy is the problem. And and look, that's the problem. It could be self-fulfilling that, hey, everybody, all the banks are going to fail. Well, that could be self-fulfilling if everybody makes a run on the banks.
1: There's a big problem that faces the crypto industry that doesn't trigger, you know, 12, 18 months down the road. It triggers 12 to 18 days down the road. If you don't have a bank that can make payroll for your company, you're either forced to close up shop or you have to leave the U.S. to find a banking partner overseas. I mean, the crypto industry has so much potential to generate tax revenue to solve so many other of the United States problems. You know, you've got the Fed, you know, shooting themselves in one foot with inflation and then shooting themselves in the brain with the attitude they're taking towards crypto that could literally save them if they work together.
2: I mean, just think about the the basic I mean, there's so many like great use cases of crypto that we could spend hours talking about. But just think about the basic thing, like if I want to buy a stock, I can only buy that stock Monday through Friday, but not counting holidays between 930 and a.m. and 4 p.m. What an, well, it's a, an antique, That's a hundred-year-old antique. Crypto, 24-7, low fees, instant trading, no problem. Basic use case, all right, is that you, you don't have to wait 10 a.m. Monday morning to walk into your local regional bank to get some cash out and to see a human teller who's got a line outside of his cubicle. Crypto banking is 24-7. Transfers could happen all over the world for pennies, like, this is a, a, a multi, multi-trillion dollar use case. That's, and that's, by the way, that's use case number two. Use case number one I described earlier, which is just protection against the failure of currencies. This is use case number two, is to evolve the banking system into the 21st century. And then there's use cases three through 10,000. But I don't know what they're thinking. It ain't, literally, though. by the way, you go to like consensus, ETH and e- 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 Denver and so on, they 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 don't the the twenty thousand programmers who show up there they don't care about the price of crypto they're busy working building an entirely new financial ecosystem that's going to be awesome and great and solve so many of these problems including inflation deflation banking issues the antique you know stock exchange system the antique how do you buy a bond how does the average person buy a bond I don't even know how to buy a bond you got to call someone and say I want some bonds
0: yeah and most of the time you it. have to be like institutional and there's there's uh. Like if you want to buy government bonds, there's certain limits to how many you can buy and all sorts of different stuff. Um, But I'm
1: curious,
0: curious, James, to get your thought um, on something that's kind of unfolding right now. Um, The Fed uh, CBDC, the central bank digital currency, which I think they've slated to like try and launch in July of this year. And uh, I'm kind of learning a little bit more about this as Balaji Srinivasan has got his $1 million Bitcoin yeah. price target in 90 days. And I listened to something. He says, you know, it's kind of like more of I'm provoking people to, like, you know, get people excited and listen about a uh, $1 million Bitcoin and, you know, get them off zero and get to the life raft and all that stuff. But he's saying the 90-day uh, sort of window is not arbitrary. It's the the day, the countdown until when the Fed launches their new CBDC. And so I was like, oh, I didn't know it was coming that fast. Is that like the full rollout? Do you know anything about
2: this? I don't think it's happening that fast. I think they've been experimenting with the technology to do it, but I have not heard anything about a CBDC rolling out in 90 days. The last I heard was they've been doing some experiments with MIT about the technology and so on. Now, the CBDC is an interesting thing because everyone's saying, and look, they might be correct. It's a bad thing. The US will know who is spending what dollar. I mean, the US will be able to see everything on the blockchain for that. And if you're if you say some things against that the U S doesn't like, they could turn off your, you know, your coins and whatever, you know, yes. And no, like even right now, if the U S doesn't like you, they could shut down your bank account and everyone says, Oh, but they need a subpoena or a warrant or whatever. Okay. Is that really hard for the U S government to do? Like the IRS does it every single day. They shut down bank accounts and so on, which they should, like when people owe the money, they, they need to get it. But So I don't know how much the CBDC changes things politically. It's already a mess. But in general, a CBDC, I think, is great for crypto because it means the infrastructure has to grow. There's no infrastructure in place for a CBDC. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, right now, though, whether eventually a CBDC will come, whether we like it or not. And so my personal opinion is, I don't want to engage, like, I don't engage in all the arguing. Oh, is this good for people? Is this bad for people? Is this not private? Is this private? I do think this is good for crypto. I want to make money. So, you know, there are coins like, like quant, which allows for the interoperability between different blockchains. That's going to be needed because every CBDC will probably be on a, a different blockchain you'll need some way to exchange them like a Forex exchange. But I, when something's inevitable, I don't, Get all upset about it. I just try to figure out how to make money from it. And yeah, but I don't like, know. Quant's, you know.
1: A, Quant's a great thing to point uh, an eye to if, if that's the goal. But just to, to give some yeah, uh, insight way, into mean, Fed now. I
2: don't, I don't mean to push anything. Like I don't. I actually don't own quant, so I'm just saying that's a possible crypto that might be benefiting from CBDC. It's, it's it's up a couple hundred percent in the past few months. But um, uh, I I do think the 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 CBDC thing is inevitable.
1: Yeah, uh, I would agree there. But days FedNow days. is not uh, CDBC. What it is, it's yeah, a the technological- Now FedNow thing
0: is the 90-day thing, I guess. It's called FedNow yeah. Instant Payments. What What is that piece? Yeah,
1: so what it is, is we have something called ACH right now, Automatic Clearing House. And this still takes you know a few days to clear. So FedNow is a technological upgrade to that system specifically. So our debit card transactions can clear instantly. And we don't have to have these stupid pending things in our bank that screws up our available balance for real balance and stuff like that so FedNow is actually a kind of a good thing um it's, but it's not a central bank digital currency it's not really a pathway to a central bank digital currency either um but uh yeah i mean if anything it's trying to compete with uh the paypal's and the cash apps of the world
2: yeah i mean this cbdc happening in 90 days that strikes me as impossible like the infrastructure yeah. is they would need like there. congressional approval I'd imagine and it would need infrastructure in place like like wallets and shit <laughs> yeah like, right there's, exactly there's just nothing right now as far as I know like I think I'm sure people are working on it but I mean I don't know where Blagie's an interesting guy and he's very successful but I don't know where he's getting that particular piece of information and I, I, no one else has said that to me so
0: Look, guys, taxes, they stink, but they're a part of life. And crypto taxes can particularly stink. And now the IRS, they're cracking down, increasing audits and in turn, increasing your financial risk. So that's why I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Guard Dog by Crypto Tax Audit. Now, Guard Dog is kind of like car insurance, but for your taxes. Now, GuardDog's an early warning indicator constantly scanning your financial landscape for audit risk, sending you monthly reports on the status of your IRS account and warning you about potential audits up to six months in advance. And if that happens, GuardDog can work with you to correct any issues and potentially even help you avoid an audit altogether. And on top of all this, GuardDog even detects when you're eligible for refunds that you might not have even known about. So stop worrying about your taxes and learn how you can get started by going to CryptoTaxAudit.com. Again, that's our newest sponsor, GuardDog. You can find him at CryptoTaxAudit.com, and you can sign up today.
1: Yeah, I got a chance to speak to the Federal Reserve at Money 2020 last year, and I talked to them about this, and they gave me some literature about Fed Now to clear up any confusion. So, you know, if you want to take their word as truth, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, um, then this is what is just an update to automatic clearinghouse, which is no big deal or any reason to be concerned. But as far as central bank digital currencies go, if all these other countries are doing it, and you have to have a way to exchange currency internationally they really don't have a choice but to build one and as james pointed out quant's Overledger is kind of the front runner to be the medium of exchange over there
2: yeah i think that who knows what's
1: going to end up happening
2: i think that's probably why quant's been doing well maybe you know another one that that's interesting is the graph now that's been kind of labeled an ai token which maybe it is maybe it isn't but you could think of the graph as like a search engine for blockchains so that might play a role too if If people are really worried about issues of privacy on a CBDC, it might be because the graph will allow the government to easily search what's going on on the central bank digital currency blockchain. But again, Mm -hmm. I don't know of anything being actually built or happening right now. Again, the infrastructure is not even there yet fully for Bitcoin or Ethereum. And this is one thing that dampens a little bit the enthusiasm for cryptos because crypto is hard to buy and sell. Now, like, you guys are in it every day you're in the business you know you run funds for it you advise customers about it but for the average grandma and grandpa in indiana if you say well you're going to need to use metamask and what do you want to use pancake swap or sushi swap and which coin You oh you're gonna have to buy that coin on kraken because i can't find it on sushi swap and it crypto needs like a good front end i feel and this is this is not a problem. This is an opportunity, but you know this is why, in general, the infrastructure is not a hundred percent there yet for the government to start playing in this as well. Yeah,
0: no, I think you're you're spot on. You kind of touched on something a bit that I want to circle back to, just in regards to AI. There's you know a lot of hype around AI and uh, Chat GPT, GPT four, all these new uh, models and stuff, and you know crypto coins that are like associated with AI have been doing really well. Um, what, what's, do you, I mean, do you have like a, a summary or a take on AI? How is it going to affect us? We were talking to, uh, Dr. Ben Gertzel the other day and he, he made a bold claim saying that he thinks, uh, 75% of the world will be unemployed, uh, in the next 10 years due to AI and that we're all going to be on basic income. And, and is that something that like resonates with you or do you think that that's uh kind of way out there?
2: I think that's way out there because look there's been a lot of new technologies that have changed industries and put people out of business. Okay. The rise of the car made everybody in the horse business go out of business. Mm. The the rise of, you know, telephones put everybody out of business in the telegraph business, the rise of every, back in 1995, companies like AT&T were worried about the internet. Are people going to start making phone calls through the internet and not need to pay AT&T? Well, that didn't happen. Now, industries will change. Like if you're a journalist, for instance, and I'm a newspaper, I'm going to fire you because I could just say, hey, what happened in Singapore today? Write an article on ChatGPT and it'll do it. Unless you're doing investigative, new, cutting-edge journalism, you're out of a job. Mm-hmm. So there's many industries like that that will be replaced. Now, you know, like like Tesla's building the Optimus robot in order to bring manufacturing cheaply back to the US. We manufacturing outside of the US because labor is cheap. Well, this goes back to the industrial revolution. You know, industrial revolution, uh, you know, unfortunately it took this to to happen, but the industrial revolution made slavery more expensive than it than machines. <laughs> So, so you know that was the end of slavery in many countries. Was the rise of the steam engine. The UK ended slavery mm-hmm. in 1835. You know, US didn't end it unfortunately until 1865. And and so jobs will change, industries will change, people will have to move. But AI is going to be a great addition to many uh, industries. Industries that will grow, biotech will grow, of course, AI will grow, robotics will grow, uh, crypto banking. You know, think about crypto again also. Crypto has the ability to make everything an asset class. Like, what if I want to buy and sell shares of your podcast and exchange it for shares in someone's house down the road? Um, You can do that all on a crypto exchange where everything is tokenized. And, you know, that's an amazing thing. The the world of assets is going to explode, and that's going to require huge amounts of human participation. Now, it's going to require huge amounts of AI participation, but there's never been a technology that has made the economy smaller. Just because there's biotech doesn't mean doctors are out of work. Just because cancer is going to be you know, cured in the next 10 years because of advances in immunotherapy doesn't put oncologists out of work. Quite the opposite. There's going to be more uses than ever of, of how to use this technology intelligently. So I think that's a little bit we we've seen those kind of excuses those kind of arguments before and they've never plant, you know played out
1: and you going know, you know back the to biggest, your point
2: you know what the biggest climate change issue was in 1900 i mean literally this was the biggest you know, people were worried about the climate in 1900 because horses dropped like 12 inches of shit every single day on <laughs> the the ground in new york city on the roads of new york city how are they going to get rid of all this manure every single day and where was it going to go this is a huge climate issue and cars you know rising technology solved an issue that nobody thought was solvable so we haven't really seen the full effects of ai but it's not gonna it's not gonna be the case that we're all living on welfare because of a great technology
1: maybe another 100 years for the smell to stop lingering in new york city oh it's still lingering but that's a little little job there human manure (laughs) yeah oh man But but going back to your earlier point, um, what you just described, being able to tokenize anything and exchange it for anything else, I just found a new platform called Proof of Reception that literally enables that in a peer-to-peer marketplace across the world. It's built by uh, one of the heirs to South Korea's biggest families, uh, and it's absolutely mind-blowing what they've done over there. And I was just staring at it with my eyes wide as he's describing it to me and I said, dude, if you threw an AI... On this thing, it would immediately match everyone's needs with everyone else's spare resources and the amount ima- the, uh, like Eden would dawn and he's like, yeah, I know. So, yeah, this is happening uh, regardless of, you know, government intervention or uh, opposition or even support. So I, it's really, really I exciting agree. to That's be in this space right now. So as a seasoned investor, seeing all this chaos going around you, all you see is volatility and opportunity. So where are you looking to place your bets for the incoming future?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, first off, you can't go wrong with Ethereum, right? Because even if you're, you know, some people are Bitcoin maximalists, and I respect that, you know, people should, Bitcoin's the largest, so it's not horrible to have that in your portfolio. But if I was going to bet one of the two horses, probably would be Ethereum. But even beyond that, I mean... Again, there's Ethereum and then there's competitors like Solana and Cardano, but Ethereum has like 99.5% of the market of how to build decentralized apps. Doesn't mean, I, by the way, I like these other things as well Solana, Cardano, they're going to be used. But I really like the picks and shovels tokens. There's something like 20,000 altcoins out there. Probably 95% of them or more are scams. But I really do like the picks and shovels tokens, the ones that are really building the infrastructure so that Bitcoin and Ethereum become really usable to the common user. Remember, 1998 and 1999, everyone was super excited about the internet, but there was no easy front end for it. You couldn't make a website, like the average person could not make their own website. And there, was no, uh, there wasn't no, there was enough users. So the same thing right now is true for crypto. There's no easy front end for the average person. and And there simply aren't enough users. When were there enough users for the internet? probably around 2005, when there was a billion users. And then you see the rise of Facebook, the rise of, you know, the real rise of Google, the rise of, of you know, Amazon becomes profitable, the, the iPhone, the iPad, all these things. So when crypto hits a billion users and it's a little easier to use, two issues that are trending upwards very quickly, then you're going to see a real breakout. But what's going to build this whole ecosystem? I like the picks and shovels plays. I mean, we talked about Quant that makes different blockchains You know, talk to each other. The graph allows you to search blockchains. You know, you have kind of these post-merge tokens like SSV, which allows you know easier, uh, easier ways to build applications for staking. So all these kind of like nuts and bolts tokens that are building the infrastructure up. They don't issue press releases every day. It's hard to kind of find out day to day what's going on with them. But because they're work, because they're hard at work, they're not public companies. They're just hard at work uh, building this this new ecosystem. So I, I think that's. Where it's interesting right now,
0: yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, especially with the the analysis there on Ethereum. Um, you know, somebody asked me the other day, like, "Hey Bryce, what do you, what do you like more, Bitcoin or Ethereum?" I'm like, well, I like them both for for different reasons. But if I were to honestly say, what do I use more? Um, I use Ethereum about a hundred times more than I use Bitcoin. Bitcoin, I I, I have it there and it sits. On yeah. a wallet and just does it. Ethereum, you could use it. You're, you know, pay. You're, uh, paying for different DeFi applications. You're able to, um, uh, have all sorts of different uh meta metaverse uh, interactions and NFTs with Ethereum. But with Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin's getting more utility, um, but it's still, um, still a ways away. So I'm, I'm right now also in the camp that thinks that, um, you know, if you had, you know a hundred dollars, you know, 75% of it probably is better off in Ethereum versus uh, versus Bitcoin.
2: I, I agree. Like I own Ethereum, but I don't own any Bitcoin. Now hmm. if Balaji is correct, then I would have missed out on his million dollars. But uh, uh, you know, Bitcoin is the biggest, but Ethereum already has many more transactions per day. So Ethereum is hmm. the biggest in terms of transactions per day. And Bitcoin, there's not as much emphasis on building the infrastructure to make fast, scalable transactions, whereas Ethereum is like neck deep in that. That's, you know, we've got, we just had the merge. Now we're going to have the surge, the splurge, the whatever. So it's all going to get a lot more faster and, and scalable. Yeah, no, awesome.
0: Well, James, um, we appreciate your time. One last question before we let you go, just for, for new folks who are in the audience, this might be the first time they've ever listened to a crypto podcast. What's one word of advice that you'd give a, a new crypto investor, new crypto trader, someone who's looking to uh, to knock it out of the park
2: here? Yeah, the thing is, don't go crazy with size. Mm. If If crypto, if the dream comes true, which we all on this podcast expect it will, you don't need to worry about size. Every one of the these tokens that are real and not scams will go up thousands and thousands and thousands of percent. You only needed to put a $1,000 in Intel and Microsoft each when they went public, and you would have $3.5 million right now. Crypto's following a similar kind of exponential growth. Mm. So just keep, keep, don't go crazy. Don't go broke. Keep position sizes small. You'll get rich if you buy just good safe tokens as Warren Buffett said if if a, if a crypto is going to be around I'm misquoting him he says it about stocks but if a crypto is going to be around in 20 years it's going to be a very good investment now so find the ones that will be around in 20 years
0: yeah and don't bother uh holding it for even 20 minutes if you don't think it's going to be around for 20 years yeah, do not day trade crypto that is <laughs> the pathway to to poverty Love it. All right. Well, James, thank you so much for spending uh, the 45 minutes here with us. And uh, we hope to have you back yeah. on again soon.
2: Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, I really admire what you're doing. You, you always put out really good content. Thank you. Appreciate Feeling's it. mutual, James. Thank you. This is the story of the one.